This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of the direct lateral approach to the hip, otherwise known as the hardinge or transgluteal approach, from the approaches section on orthobullets.com. The direct lateral approach to the hip provides exposure to the hip joint. Indications include total hip orthoplasty, and keep in mind that this approach has a lower rate of total hip prosthetic dislocations, and it's also indicated in the setting of proximal femur fractures. As far as the plane of the direct lateral approach to the hip, there is no true internervous plane. In terms of the intermuscular plane, this approach splits the gluteus medius distal to the innervation, which is the superior gluteal nerve, and the vastus lateralis is also split lateral to the innervation, which is the femoral nerve. So again, the intermuscular plane in the direct lateral approach to the hip involves splitting the gluteus medius distal to its innervation, which is the superior gluteal nerve, and the vastus lateralis is also split lateral to the innervation, which is the femoral nerve. In terms of preparation, anesthesia options include general and spinal. The position for this approach can be done either lateral or supine. Now let's talk about the approach. The incision begins 5 centimeters proximal to the tip of the greater trochanter. A longitudinal incision is centered over the tip of the greater trochanter and extends down the line of the femur about 8 centimeters. Moving on to the superficial dissection, you will split the fascia lata and retract anteriorly to expose the tendon of the gluteus medius. You will then detach the fibers of the gluteus medius that attach to the fascia lata using sharp dissection. Deep dissection splits the fibers of the gluteus medius longitudinally starting at the middle of the greater trochanter. Do not extend more than 3 to 5 centimeters above the greater trochanter to prevent injury to the superior gluteal nerve. You will then extend the incision inferior through the fibers of the vastus lateralis. Then you will develop an anterior flap. This includes the anterior aspect of the gluteus medius from the anterior greater trochanter with its underlying gluteus minimus, the anterior part of the vastus lateralis, and remember that this anterior flap requires sharp dissection of muscles off bone or lifting a small fleck of bone. Finally, you will expose the anterior joint capsule. You will follow the dissection anteriorly along the greater trochanter and onto the femoral neck, which leads to the capsule. The gluteus minimus needs to be released from the anterior greater trochanter. Finally, let's talk about the structures at risk during the direct lateral approach to the hip. And the structures to be aware of include the superior gluteal nerve and the femoral nerve. The superior gluteal nerve runs between the gluteus medius and minimus 3 to 5 centimeters above the greater trochanter. You can protect the superior gluteal nerve by limiting the proximal incision of the gluteus medius and putting a stay suture at the apex of the gluteal split. Keep in mind that injury to the superior gluteal nerve leads to a Trendelenburg gait pattern. Finally, the femoral nerve is the most lateral structure in the neurovascular bundle of the anterior thigh. Make sure to keep retractors on bone with no soft tissue under to prevent iatrogenic injury. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, In a modified hardinge or lateral approach to the hip, what structure limits the proximal extent of the gluteus medius split? And the choices are 1. Superior gluteal nerve 2. Inferior gluteal nerve 3. Pudendal nerve 4. Corona mortis and 5. Sciatic nerve The correct answer to this question is 1. Superior gluteal nerve. So the superior gluteal nerve enters the deep surface of the gluteus medius approximately 5 centimeters proximal to the tip of the greater trochanter. 
Splitting the muscle, as in the hardinge approach, has been reported to cause injury to this nerve if the split is carried above 5 centimeters. A simple tag suture can be placed at this level to prevent propagation of the split inadvertently during surgery. Moving on to the next question. Which of the following approaches for total hip arthroplasty is reported to have the lowest prosthetic dislocation rate? And the choices are 1. Posterior approach with posterior soft tissue repair. 2. Anterolateral or Watson-Jones. 3. Direct lateral or Hardinge. 4. Transtrochanteric. And 5. Posterior approach without posterior soft tissue repair. The correct answer to this question is 3. Direct lateral or Hardinge approach. So the direct lateral or Hardinge approach has been cited to have the lowest associated dislocation rate of the options provided. The meta-analysis by Masonis and Bourne found a dislocation rate for 14 studies involving 13,000 total hips was 1.27% for the transtrochanteric approach, 3.23% for the posterior approach, but specifically 3.95% without posterior repair, and 2.03% with posterior repair, 2.18% for the anterolateral approach, and 0.55% for the direct lateral approach. Eight studies involving 2,455 primary total hip arthroplasties evaluated postoperative limp. However, the article also found that the incidence of postoperative limp was 4% to 20% for patients who had the lateral approach and 0% to 16% for patients who had the posterior approach. The article by Kwan et al. found the lowest dislocation rate with direct lateral at 0.43%, followed by anterolateral at 0.7%, and posterior with soft tissue repair at 1.01%. The article by Farrell et al. reviewed 27,004 patients and found the use of a posterior approach to be associated with a significantly increased odds ratio for the development of a postoperative motor nerve palsy, with a p-value of 0.032. And moving on to the final question, which of the following describes the internervous plane of the direct lateral approach to the hip? And the choices are 1, between the femoral nerve and the superior gluteal nerve, 2, between the superior gluteal nerve and the inferior gluteal nerve, 3, between the superior gluteal nerve and the sciatic nerve, 4, no true internervous plane as the dissection splits a muscle innervated by the superior gluteal nerve, and 5, no true internervous plane as the dissection splits a muscle innervated by the inferior gluteal nerve. The correct answer to this question is 4. No true internervous plane as the dissection splits a muscle innervated by the superior gluteal nerve. So the direct lateral approach or the hardinge approach splits the fibers of the gluteus medius which is innervated by the superior gluteal nerve. With this approach there is no true internervous plane. After incising the fascia lata, the fibers of the gluteus medius are split as are the fibers of the vastus lateralis. The transverse branch of the lateral circumflex artery is often cut as the vastus lateralis is mobilized and must be cauterized during the dissection. The anterior approach employs the interval between the sartorius slash rectus femoris, innervated by the femoral nerve, and the tensor fasciolata slash gluteus medius, which is innervated by the superior gluteal nerve. The posterior approach utilizes the interval between the gluteus maximus, innervated by the inferior gluteal nerve, and the gluteus medius, innervated by the superior gluteal nerve. No true internervous plane exists with this approach as the gluteus maximus is split in the line of its fibers and it is supplied by the inferior gluteal nerve. 
However, the muscle is not typically denervated if one keeps the split less than 5 centimeters proximal to the tip of the greater trochanter, as this theoretically limits damage to the inferior gluteal nerve. That's all for this review about the direct lateral approach to the hip, otherwise known as the hardinge or transgluteal approach. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.